0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the next edition of the Streamtime podcast. And I'm excited to be joined once again by Senior Content Manager and good friend Chris Stone. Welcome back, Chris. Um, it looks like you've been up to a few things this week. What's been on your calendar?
1: Oh, I don't know. Uh, some people may have heard it if they're familiar with the podcast, but there was uh, the return of the Sports Pro OTT Summit. Um, although we weren't back in Madrid, we were hosted at the absolutely gorgeous tottenham stadium and uh the joy or the view from 150 meters above the stadium is certainly probably not one i'll forget anytime soon
0: i gave the great excuse that i was too busy to go up there but really i was just too scared um but a lot of everyone that went up said they had an incredible experience uh at the stadium and on top of that was it called the, the skywalk
1: yeah i believe that's what it was called it was uh dare dare to the sky something like that but uh The worst part was the uh, rappelling down from the side of the stadium off a rope. Uh, Certainly the most interesting exit I've ever had out of a stadium, but great views.
0: Yeah, it was interesting. I think out of the, over the couple of days that we had there, I think something like must've been 25 or 30% of the entire delegation ended up trying to do, do that walk. So uh, definitely a part of the event that people enjoyed, but not only that, there was a lot else going on other than just walking, taking a walk on the stadium. Um... Now, now, Chris, from your perspective, what was the highlight for you over those two days at, uh, at Tottenham?
1: And, you know, I'll be biased. Um, as an American, there's something about uh, the way Americans go about delivering information. And once again, I'd have to say Dan Porter was one of the highlights for me. Uh, I don't think you find many people as candid and open and honest uh, and certainly maybe as uh, strongly opinionated as Dan. And I think one of the interesting things, I can't get on LinkedIn anymore these days without seeing something about NFTs. Um, And Dan Porter comes in and basically just shoots that down. Um, Not because he's opposed to NFTs, but this idea basically said, can sports for just one moment stop sucking the fun out of being a fan? Not everything needs to be about making money off fans. You know, they don't need to always be consumers. They can just be fans. Um, And he talked about, you know, over the last six months, everybody's slide now has NFT in it, even though they have no clue what an NFT actually is or how it should be used, you know, within the sports ecosystem.
0: Yeah, that um, certainly got a reaction. I understandably so. And uh, look, if anyone's going to listen to Dan Porter, just have a look at his investment group. And he's got Jeff Bezos, 6% of the entire NBA's active player roster funding his overtime strategy. So I think he might be someone to listen to if I was uh, anyone at that event, that's for sure. Um, Anything else that jumped out for you from a content perspective? I mean, for me, uh, I found it really interesting just to hear consistently the push towards diversification of revenue, um, which uh, it seems like everyone's pretty much come to grips that subscriptions are really hard to run a business effectively, just built around a subscription only business and even DAZN and 11 Sports and all these pretty well-known OTT platforms are all pushing pretty hard to diversify the way they make money because uh, profitability and generating new incomes isn't as easy as I think everyone expected um, when we sort of all started going on this OTT journey.
1: Well, what I think is interesting is even taking that back a step further. um, We held a a workshop that was closed doors, you know, not going to go into all the details, hence the, the purpose of that closed door meeting, but you know, you were talking about subscriptions and monetization models. But to me, what's really interesting is the idea of monetizing content through streaming is still kind of archaic in the sports broadcast world. It's very much traditional sponsorship and advertising and then linear broadcast deals. There's still a lot of confusion and a lot of political tape to get through to to start looking at those monetization models beyond what's been a traditional business model. So obviously, you're speaking very much within that vertical um, but it just it, it's always interesting to me how slow some of the progress and changes for these more digitally minded executives to overcome, you know, previous traditions.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I think uh, one of the other things just to, that really jumped out for me is we actually had the CMO of uh, the City Football Group speaking um, as well. Uh, and I love the conversation was around just generally just content that and the different platforms you can use it and also looking towards social media as a, as a key vehicle for them. Uh, and what really jumped out for me, for those that listened into uh, the previous podcast we had with the CEO of media at Man United, he made a big point about the fact that they had to be very cautious on what they did and had to be best in class and they would rather be last to move uh, rather than test and iterate and try new things and risk try risky things uh, through those different channels. But the City Football Group was actually quite the opposite. They were saying, hey, we actually constantly try new things, see how it goes, and if it's good, we iterate and try uh, and test and, and then keep building and building and building. Interesting to hear, I think, just from that point of view that you know two clubs in the same league two clubs at a similar sort of level in terms of uh, prominence
1: in the same city.
0: Yeah. And, uh, and it just shows that the difference um, that some clubs have to react, depending on, I guess, how the fans might react if you do things the wrong way.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think as well, we're talking about sort of best in class and innovating uh, they've been on this podcast before uh, they walked away as by far the winningest organization on the day during the OTT awards, but uh, the DFL walked away with three awards on the day. So I don't know if there's anyone in particular that stood out to you from the awards that you felt certainly deserved to to be on the podium or just a general consensus about the the success of the DFL. I, I don't know if there you had any particular takeaways from the awards themselves.
0: Yeah, and the, the awards were, were great, and it was good to see a diverse range of winners uh, on, on stage. But yeah, DFL definitely took – took the lion's share of the awards was it yeah three three awards on on the night uh and also they're quite entertaining in terms of their excitement um with carsten and his team certainly i think getting the bar bar moving i think we had a record bar bill that night so i think i'm largely pointing the finger at him and the dfl team as to why we uh we hit those numbers but uh no dfl definitely did really really well um i presented the award for platform of the year and that was won by the zone i think new platform of the year by discovery plus so um you know some big names doing some uh, pretty pretty big things and um yeah really excited just to be able to get back together after what's been two years uh, is a really cool experience and um already looking forward to when our next events are coming where we've got um usa in march where we're going to be in new york and and also sports for live in april back in london so Look, I think from my perspective, it was great to be back in person, uh, I'm really looking forward to um, to the next one, whenever that might be. Now, look, I think it's time to shift the conversation and uh, get our next guest involved. And um, this week, I spoke with David Gandler, who's CEO of Fubo TV, uh, and obviously he just came off their latest financials being released, um, being a listed company, they have to do that every quarter. So always a lot of uh, eyeballs and attention brought to them whenever they have to release those figures. So I got a chance to speak to him uh, today about those numbers and about their strategy. And uh, it was really interesting, actually. They, they've had a number of acquisitions, uh, which we touched upon, I think, briefly in the last podcast, but they, they've acquired a French uh, streaming platform called Molotov uh, and uh, and also an AI-based uh, tech business called Edison.ai, who incidentally... Was one of the 20 companies to invest in now on SportsPros website in January. So, as as I talk about with David, great minds think alike. Um, but yeah, FUBU is an interesting business, isn't it, Chris?
1: Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I think one of the things you, you mentioned the acquisition of the French company was that literally this time, 12 months ago, when we were planning the OTT summit in 2020, um, their team decided not to take that opportunity because they said. We're really only interested in North America. We're not looking into the European markets or outside of you know North America. So if we could, we'll just have David speak at OTT USA. So it just goes to show we're always talking about how rapidly this ecosystem is evolving. And like we said, within 12 months, you know they went from we're not having any interest into there to I believe David used a particular phrase about their their new strategy.
0: Yeah, that's um, and Molotov is um, supposedly that the second most. Uh, viewed streaming platform in France and also have um, uh, destinations like or countries like Burkina Faso, uh, uh, Morocco and a bunch of other countries that are French speaking that they are also positioned in. So yeah, they look like they're definitely keeping uh, pushing forward. Still a lot of question marks on their business strategy and model because they're losing still a lot of money. I think they lost nearly $80 million in the quarter. Um, But like a lot of the businesses that you do see in the market, that are trying to scale and grow they lose a lot of money as well so it's an interesting debate um, which we dig into quite a bit with with david so um so look i think that's probably enough of us uh, i'd say it's about time we we kick into the conversation with david gandler ceo of fubo tv thanks very much chris and i uh, talk to you again soon
1: pleasure as always nick we'll speak soon
0: I'm here with David Gandler, CEO of FuboTV. Welcome to the Streamtime Podcast, David, and great to see you again.
2: Yes, thank you for having me. Great to see you.
0: Now, we're recording this about eight months after we last spoke, which again, was just after your financials were released to the public. Now, a lot seems to have happened between now and then, and particularly over the last quarter, so lots to get into. I just got to ask, from a practical perspective, I'm really curious. Just how nuts is the week of the the launch of the financials for you guys? Is it is it is it as insane as I expect it to be?
2: It is extremely uh, insane. Uh, lots of sleepless nights. Uh, a lot of effort goes into putting together shareholder letters. Um, you know the whole uh, financial process, uh, audit meetings, bring down calls, board meetings. Um, you know, having all the teams put their numbers together, and then you also have to work on guidance as well. So. It's certainly a lot of effort and then you're dealing with, um, you know, TV interviews, investors, uh, banking conferences and it's, uh, you know, uh, lunches and dinners. And so it's it's pretty busy.
0: I can only imagine. And so I really appreciate you finding the time to join us. Um, but what I want to do is just take a little step back before we kick into the numbers and, and the current day. Um you started your career in, in media sales and in the advertising space, you know, cutting your, your crafted broadcasters like Scripps, Time Warner, Telemundo, and so on. And then you co-founded FuboTV about seven years ago. On paper, that looks like quite a sort of a shift in the career. So I'm really curious um, sort of how you made the move from, from doing what you were doing there to, to launching FuboTV itself. How did it come to be? So um,
2: I think my background is actually quite important, uh, because if you think about the progression of my career, I started in local broadcast television. Uh, and from there I went on to cable local cable net networks and um, you know worked at Time Warner Cable, where we did a lot of things that were tied to aggregation and distribution and content deals. Um, so you kind of learn the business uh, from the bottom up. And uh, from there, I did go on to Scripps Networks International, which was the the parent company of Food Network and HGTV. So I got to work with Food Network Magazine, both on the, I would say, on the BD and advertising sales side. Uh, so it was Food Magazine, HGTV, you know, the network, the uh, the digital assets were where I was an account executive. Um, and from there, I went on to join an S- SVOD service, a subscription VOD service that was dedicated to aggregating Korean dramas. Uh, which was called Drama Fever, and there I had built out all of ad sales marketing, a lot of the uh, the revenue capabilities that made that business uh, really exciting. Uh, and that company was acquired by Warner Brothers uh, back in fourteen, two thousand fourteen. And so, you know, if you think about it, I've actually have sold video, as I like to say, in more ways probably than anybody in the United States. Uh, and I and I say that with confidence because I don't know many people that remember broadcast television and local cable and network cable and selling pre-rolls on, you know, 30-second short form Bobby Flay uh, recipes, So um, and then getting into SVOD. So Fubo, to me, was a natural extension. Uh, it was the culmination of watching all of those uh, mediums and being part of digital at Scripps and then obviously uh, being part of an SVOD service or SVOD service uh, namely drama fever, which finally brought me to the conclusion that the only, the last bastion in video is going to be sports and live television. And, uh, for me, this made complete sense at the time people were scratching their heads and saying, what are you talking about? This makes no sense. So here we are almost seven years later.
0: And when you launched, you had a big focus on on sports. now but now obviously that has shifted some some uh, quite, quite a bit.
2: I think what we've done really well is we have um, embraced the changing dynamics of the space from from the onset. That has allowed us to continue to evolve the company uh, over time. So you know when we started the business, there were the reason why we chose football or soccer here in the United States. Is because you had four or five really strong leagues at the time, and linear television couldn't provide uh, bandwidth to be able to, um, you know, showcase all of the content. Uh, and the difference between the U.S. leagues and the soccer leagues at the time was that, you know, the American leagues were very good at slicing and dicing all of the content and maximizing revenue opportunities. But you know, with football, as you know, you can have Manchester United playing at 9 a.m. on a Saturday. in in the UK, you could have Juventus playing at 9am, you know, in Turin, and you can have uh, Bayern Munich, Barcelona and Real all playing at 9am. So to me, this was a no brainer of taking, putting, pulling together a lot of the soccer leagues and trying to offer that as a service. And from there, we very quickly morphed into, you know, soccer service, but I knew that there was an opportunity to branch out into other sports because there always is danger if you're if you have sort of if you're a one trick pony as we like to say and um you know so i think the natural extension there was to get into hispanic television given our soccer angle and uh that brought in um our first real sort of broadcast network and i think you know we started to evolve the platform into what we call today a sports first cable tv replacement service uh and we like to say come for the sports stay for the entertainment and that strategy has been working quite well for us since 2000 and
0: Seventeen. I have to have to confess, I do use your line quite a lot now when I'm talking to to other broadcasters about about the strategy because it seems that they're all making a similar play in diversifying the content from sports to having more of a wider entertainment proposition. So I think you've even featured in a couple of articles and presentations I've done recently about that. So uh,
2: okay, well that's
0: good. As long as it's positive, I'm okay. <laughs> absolutely. Um. So okay. So where we are today? So tell us just quickly. Quick picture of what, how many channels and so forth you have on the platform now?
2: Yeah, so we're probably north of about 175 channels. Um, you know, we've also launched our own television network, bubo Sports Network, which is now available in 75 million uh, digital households. Um, and, you know, we've acquired some rights. We have a very large uh, sports movie or documentary portfolio, I think one of the largest in the United States. Um, and, uh, you know, we continue to focus on expanding our content uh, offering and also optimizing the portfolio based on the type of consumer that we think we're attracting.
0: So fast forward to now, and you've just released your latest financials, as mentioned earlier. Um, Quick highlights for me, um, Worthy, you've reached the 1 million subscriber mark. uh, That's and you've added, uh, you've net added 260,000 in the last quarter. 284 million hours stream 113% increase i think that's year on year uh 108% growth from last year arpu is up to about $75 uh, near on near on enough uh and revenue's up to 157 million so uh, which is a bit which
1: for the quarter, for, right. for the
0: quarter, so that's all very, very big jumps across the board. Um, still from the financial side, obviously, uh, running at a loss, I think 80 million was the number I saw in the financials, but lots of growth right across the board. Um, in addition to that, uh, acquisition of Molotov, uh, the French Dream platform, which we'll get into uh, a bit later on, uh, Edison AI and AI platform, you've launched a free to play service, you've launched FanView and Live Stats feature. And you've also launched the sports book, uh, I think in Iowa, if I remember correctly. My gosh, that is a heck of a three months, uh, David. So uh um so on the financial side, let's just spend a bit of time there for a second. I, I threw some highlights um from my perspective. Are there any I missed? What what are some things that jump out to you as the standouts?
2: Well, um, I think everything stands out. I mean, everything we've done uh in the third quarter has been um Extremely strong. Uh, I, I think what I've said to you, I believe in others over the course of the last year, is that this is a company that executes uh, quite well It executes well above its weight class. And uh, I think all of the the things that I've been saying are coming to fruition uh, relatively quickly. Um, and so I think you know, Fubo has its own uh, spectrum, its own highway that we're on. And uh, I think other people that look at our results and look at our traction over the last 3 quarters are scratching their heads because it's very difficult for from someone for someone to understand that is not involved how could it be that a company with uh you know uh 300 at the time 300 employees could move this quickly it's just unreal and also compete with companies which you know uh I believe the Federal Trade Commission should look into companies like Google uh so I'm sure you would agree um that are you know making life extremely difficult for companies like ours to continue to grow. But despite of all that, we have a team that is uh focused on delivering results and delivering on that mission that we set out on um you know 7 years ago. So the million number is obviously extremely important because it has a it's it's a milestone. Uh you know some will say you know it's taken 6 years, congratulations. I, I know companies that took uh, 2 months uh to get to a million. Uh, And now they're below us. So, um, you know, they did that pretty quickly. And, um, you know, we took in, as you said, 263,000 net additions. That's roughly 20% of the total churned traditional subscriber count. That is a very, very important number uh, because that tells you if you believe that the uh, virtual MEPD space or the live TV space in the United States is going to be 30, 40 or 50 million. This kind of gives you... Uh, some guardrails in terms of how big could this be. And when we spoke, I think I, I may have said that our goal was to be a top five virtual MVPD. And people were like, well, okay, that's that's nice. It's you know decent sized business. You know, today I'm very comfortable saying that this is going to be a top three service in the United States. And anything that's top three in the United States is is typically very large.
0: That is for sure. Um so on the face of it and what you've described and what I see, yeah, really great growth across the board. And you've released the financials last week, yet I have to ask on the share price, then you had a dip of about eight points with the biggest single dip you've had in the last six months. Can you tell me is there any logic as to why that is what is there any sentiment you're getting as to why that 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 reaction happened
2: so uh look it's a good question um you know the share price question comes up all the time. I think what's interesting is that we've had our greatest quarter to date uh coupled with as you said the worst uh drop that we've seen today uh those two uh, re- uh, w- what it states to me is that there is a clear disconnect between what we're doing uh, and what the market uh believes or may maybe does not believe or does not believe it's sustainable uh, but you can only get lucky for so many quarters i mean every quarter is you get- you got lucky um Look we don't focus on the stock price. What I can tell you is that the market will eventually realize what is happening uh, again I'm not comparing Fubo to Tesla or to you know to Netflix or others but I recall when Netflix was struggling in the first part of the uh, the 21st century uh, where people did not get it there were class action lawsuits because they didn't want to provide their churn numbers and which are by the way a non gap metric. Um, You know, you recall Tesla's volatility in the early years until it became so obvious, wow, people will actually drive electric cars and they make their own battery. And guess what? They're probably going to be a winner. I think it just takes some time because the dynamics in the market, as I said, are changing quickly. You have media companies that are launching their own streaming platforms. um, And, you know, that, that uncertainty creates more questions than answers for most investors uh, who don't understand it. The other thing is I think the stock may have run up prior uh, to uh, to earnings with the expectation we would beat. I don't think anyone uh, expected us to be, beat where we did uh, and exceed a million. But um, that's kind of where, where we are. I think the only thing we can do is focus on continuing to beat and raise uh, and continuing to develop our business. I think the other thing, uh, remember, it was a very uh, packed Shareholder letter, as you said, you've got great numbers coupled with two acquisitions. These two acquisitions are a bit different from one another. It's not clear how they play in. So I think there's some questions, and I think you know our job over the next uh, couple quarters is to explain uh, to investors what we did. But you know, in my mind, we're building a category defining um, streaming platform, one focused on sports and live television. And uh, at some point, you have to pick a market. And uh, I believe that there's a dearth of assets available uh, globally. And in Europe, I'm not familiar. And, you know, you're obviously closer to Europe than I am. Um, you're not in you're not European, but you're close. You're close enough. Right. <laughs> um, yep, absolutely. But, uh, you know, there really wasn't many assets. And this is an asset that is the number two most viewed app behind Netflix in France, which is the second largest European country and. You know, when I think about uh, the talent pool that they have in Paris, um, the great schools and the fact that it is English speaking now, uh, wasn't many years ago. Uh, The president, uh, Macron, has done a great job becoming more, making France more, um, you know, uh, business friendly, uh, particularly for international business. And, you know, I think what I've proven personally is I'm a natural contrarian. I was a contrarian when I started this business. Uh, I was a contrarian, um, you know, when we wanted to tie in sports betting and everyone said that doesn't make sense. You can't do that. It doesn't work. And, uh, you know, I wanted to be the first one to go into France, uh, because that's not what everyone else is doing. Let them go to Brazil. Um, so that's kind of, you know, that's kind of what, how we look at things. But the synergies are quite clear. They have talent. They have some technology that we have not yet developed because we didn't think that that was going to create the greatest impact. Um, we have the same operating model. They have 200 channels, albeit they don't focus on sports. Uh, And, you know, we focus on sports and monetization, right? That's what we do really well. So um, to me, this made sense. And, um, you know, this is not going to be a cash burning exercise. We don't plan to spend hundreds of millions of dollars, but we certainly want to, you know, dip our foot in, plant a flag um, and start to do what we do, which is, collecting data understanding what needs to be done uh, what needs to be accomplished and ultimately you know when you look at the stars one day you'll see the constellation and the problem with stars is not everyone can see constellations
0: well let's let's jump into the Molotov acquisition then because I think um, you've set it up nicely so might as well keep rolling with it um, now Molotov operates in France uh, as you said it's one of the the major uh, streaming platforms in the market uh, I reach uh, it's also in Burkina Faso, Ivory Coast, Senegal, Cameroon, as well as Morocco through the Moroccan telecom service. So it, you know, quite a, you know, quite a um, I guess a multi-territory platform, which is interesting. They run a freemium model, um, which I, I'm guessing is a little bit different to what Fubo run um in, in in its monetization. And from what I do understand, you know, that's one of the challenges they've had is breaking through there, but they've got the breadth and they have some similarities on the content side. Um, the reported numbers are uh, 190 million USD. Is that, is that an accurate number? And does that, that is correct. Is that a mix of, I'm guessing, I don't know how much you can give us there, but is that a mix of stock and so forth and cash or is that? Yeah, it's, it's
2: mostly stock.
0: It's yeah. some cash, mostly
2: stock. Um, look, I think that, um, you know, again, you mentioned that they have a freemium model, which we don't have. And so you know every market's going to be a little bit different so fubo needs to understand what the freemium model can provide uh as an acquisition vehicle right uh, what i can say is that they have 200 live tv channels they have a subscription product uh and but they do have this freemium model where they bring people in they have about uh you know roughly 4 million monthly active users which is pretty decent size if you think about canal plus that has I think 3 million customers paying customers. So 4 million is a pretty solid number. They have a growing subscriber base that's in the hundreds of thousands. Um, and, um, you know, we're going to help them monetizing their subscriber base, but starting with, you know, 4 million monthly active users and being able to port those consumers over into a paid product that to me doesn't require, uh, a lot of acquisition uh costs or advertising or marketing. They're already well known. I think, you know, at least two out of every four people in uh France have used the platform. So to me this is actually a uh, pretty efficient uh acquisition. Um and one that allow- that allows us to create some operating leverage, right? We have um uh, you know we can build one tech platform because we'll eventually have to have to do that uh anyway. We'll be able to um you know, leverage a team. It'll be one team that works cross-border. Uh, as you know, teams are distributed today, uh, just given the pandemic. Uh, and so, this to me doesn't seem like a uh, a crazy, uh, you know, thing to attempt to put together. So, um, and then you know, they also have content. And so, you know, that scale is required uh, to be able to create um, the type of leverage with content owners that you need to be able to become uh you know just a valuable partner uh to them so but they also sell things like dvr right services family packs so a lot of it it's a very similar business it's not like you know you, you bought you own a soccer team and so you know you bought a you bought an nfl team it, it's this is the same thing you know buying a team in the uk buying a team in spain pretty much the same uh, business. And, you know, we felt that this group um, understands and we know what the problems are because I believe the US is about three to four years ahead of Europe. So we can actually tell them this is what we're experiencing in the US. And last but not least, their margin profile in the basic package uh, is better than ours. So this will improve our margin profile over time and allows us to start thinking about the product. Uh, in, in you know from a global perspective, again, not saying we're going to spend hundreds of millions. That is not what we're going to do. We think that this is a very efficient uh, opportunity, and you know we took down a very important piece of real estate. Last but not least, is think about all of your distribution partners, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know the Apples, the Amazons, the Roku's. You know they're also expanding uh, internationally, and you know hopefully they're going to want our assistance now in France. And when they do, we're going to want some assistance in the U.S. It's just the way the way the business works. So again, I think this was a very strategic play, one that will prove its value uh, over the next, uh, you know, twelve to eighteen months. And I'm sure you and I will be sitting on a podcast, or hopefully in person, where I can say, "See, I told you so."
0: <laughs> well, look forward to look forward to that. I um I did speak to a few people in in France and um, who work in the sector, and they were quite complimentary of the Molotov um, platform and the technology. So definitely I would say aligning with your strategy about tapping into their technological uh, capabilities there. Um, yep. You mentioned, obviously they don't have sport on the platform. The obvious question is, uh, and you've alluded to, you're not going to spend hundreds of millions on the platform, but the obvious question has to be, will you look at sports rights to be added to it in due course to build out the the pl- platforms, um, I guess, um, interest levels for, for audiences?
2: Well, I'll give you, Nick, let me give you one number, one number that I recall, uh, from my diligence. I was in Paris. I believe it was in June and July because I spent a lot of time there. I wanted to make sure culturally this was going to, uh, be a good fit. And I made sure to spend a lot of time with, with the broader team and also introduce our team. One thing that happened was there was, uh, the Euro cup, was on TF1, which was a channel carried by Molotov. Uh, some of the platforms were not able to handle the traffic. And from a concurrency perspective, Molotov did about 600,000 uh, concurrent viewers. That's a pretty significant number. Even from my relationship, my early relationship with Sky, you know, some of the EPL games in the UK, where, as you know, Sky is pretty much exclusive, you know, do, do about 800,000. And so a platform like this that's able to garner 600,000 so quickly says to me that, you know, there's an opportunity here to really um, take advantage of of what they're doing. And so, you know, sport, bringing sports to the platform, certainly one piece and obviously bringing sports features uh, and, you know, our platform to France, we think is going to be a, a pretty powerful combination over time.
0: So, um, small but practical question: Will you expect to take the Fubo brand uh, over there? So, will you um, remove the Molotov brand and swap swap it over in due course?
2: Yeah. So, you know, the the, the deal isn't closed yet. Um, I think it's fair to say that global, you know, internet companies should be global in nature uh, to ultimately have one brand globally, like Spotify or Netflix or Roku or. I think makes complete sense. I don't think anyone would argue that. Uh, we want people to travel from France to Spain to Canada to the U.S. and, you know, jump from one product to another uh, seamlessly. Um, you know that makes sense. And, and given the fact that our goal is to be a sports-first platform, and you know our strategy, uh, what that is, it makes complete sense to do that. Obviously, that's not going to happen on day one. Uh, we want to uh, ease uh, into that. So, but, you know, probably something like Molotov, a Fubo company or something like that uh, initially. But again, that's something that we're going to work very closely with, uh, with the Molotov teams and, you know, uh, our chief uh, growth officer, Alberto Horikwala.
0: I remember when we spoke in March, I asked you about the expansion overseas and it, it, I don't know, I got a sense that wasn't really on the radar. Is it something that, an opportunity that came up last, not not last minute, but in in more recently, or is it something that has been in the, uh, on the agenda for a while now?
2: Nick, I'm interested in one thing. A very simple guy with a one-track mind. It's global domination. So that never, I mean, for someone like me to get into this business competing with all these monsters, you have to believe that that's my goal. And the reason why I can't really disclose a lot of information is because everybody, particularly you know the YouTubes of the world, lots of folks are copying what we do. Uh, we're ahead of the game, ahead of the pack. Uh, performing well if i tell you i'm looking at an asset in france the price would be 5x or 6x in fact we've already heard you know through the grapevine that others were saying well why wasn't there you know a huge process and we could pay more and obviously i can't talk about who it is but my goal was to preempt the process uh we've been very strategic we've executed well there is absolutely zero reason for investors to believe that uh, we're not in control of the situation we are this asset was, in my mind, relatively inexpensive. Uh, if you think about what it would cost for you to build the number two streaming service in a country like France, it would it would cost you more than 190 million. It would cost you time, and at the end, you don't even know what you have, right? Uh, could just be a, a lost effort. So um, that's the reason why I couldn't disclose it. But what I have said many times, and I've said this on banking conference calls, I've been quoted in in uh, different um, you know publications is I've said that we would continue to look at M&A I think I have been clear on that front which we have been I also said we were going to be opportunistic um, and I've also given clues these are all breadcrumbs we also launched an at the market when we're raising capital one of if you read the document it very clearly states that you know this funding would also potentially go the proceeds would go towards um, M&A. So, you know, and I've been asked about international on occasion, and I've said, look, we, you know, obviously we haven't, but, but we're in Spain and Canada, right? So we, we have beta products there. Again, we haven't spent a lot of money because we're being very controlled and we're learning. But uh, again, nothing that we've done or we've said in this third quarter letter or that we've acquired uh, deviates from what we have been telling people from the onset
0: sure okay well let's um let's say on the acquisition front for for a second here um and talk about edison ai um interestingly um sport love the sports company. pro uh identified it as the 20 companies to invest in at the start of the year so great oh minds wow okay think alike, See that? Think alike. yeah <laughs> um so the, the 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 company is a uh, a quote Computer vision and machine learning technology business to recognize athletes on the screen and provide contextual content such as statistics, ratings, betting, and fantasy data. So, talk us through what the play is there exactly, Dave.
2: Well, you know, as we said, come for the sports, stay for the entertainment. Uh, What Edison offers is a type of entertainment, it's incremental to the sports viewing experience. Uh, We are getting into betting. Um, We've launched our our, our app within the time frame, by the way, that we said we would, um, which everyone said, no, that's impossible. Uh, but again, you know, uh, that was, that was accomplished. Um, but these guys, um, you know, the way, uh, uh, you know, you highlighted it just now was the way that everybody thinks about it. But again, Fubo's view of the world, slightly different. We look at it as, yes, we're getting all of these capabilities, but there are so many use cases for what they do the flexibility of the platform, the patents that are pending uh, at the moment. We're, we're accessing uh, a very uh, strong group of machine learning engineers uh, in India led by two very solid founders. Um, and we're, you know, really what this technology allows you to do at a very high level is extract metadata from the video in real time. So if you know nothing about sports, let me tell you, it's going to help your EPG, right? because you have games that go into overtime so your epg will you know be accurate it can also help you when you uh dvr the game so you don't get cut off right at some point with all the machine learning that we're going to develop and the incremental data sets that we'll be collecting you know at some point you may say you know what don't dvr the game dvr 30 minutes of highlights dvr 20 minutes of highlights just talk to your tv So, um, you know, there are many use cases, there are advertising use cases where they can see, um, you know, let's just say there's a, you know, you're watching, uh, you know, uh, a soccer game and these, you know, amazing, trendy soccer players are walking from the bus. And, uh, you know, for instance, you know, Messi's carrying a little Louis Vuitton bag, right. As he's going into the locker room and now we've been able to identify that bag and then as it goes into commercial break, there could be a Louis Vuitton ad. So there are so many use cases for this technology. Again, if, I think if there is a lesson here to be learned is that Fubo is always thinking about the long term and about building out its capabilities. And by doing what we're doing today, we're effectively creating a moat, to, you know, uh, developing defensibility of our business by not only combining video, streaming, having our sports first strategy uh sports betting, but also thinking about product sets and product features that are going to create value over time. And again, look at Netflix. I mean it's a great product, right? You can say that it's missing all of Marvel and all of Mickey Mouse. But at the end of the day, it's a great product and um people love it. They want to use it. And it's expensive, right? It's not a two dollar product in uh, all these uh, uh countries where you see a lot of the other SVOD service that are trending in the sort of two to four uh, you know, Euro uh, range. So again, love the company. I think it's going to fit right uh in nicely. And last but not least, remember Fubo is only about 400 employees now. We've added about 150 employees this year. So we're doing about 1.5 million of revenue per employee. That's just a level of like what Google does in terms of revenue per employee. So clearly we're too thin. So added, adding Edison AI into our data organization, there's not... Much overlap, you know. There's very limited integration risk, and the same goes for Molotov. We have 120 open positions. You know, this to me fits very nicely. Uh, and the last thing I think I'll end on in terms of M&A is, again, just look at the way we run our business this year. Our first few acquisitions were three people, then twelve people. That twelve is now 60 in that group, which is the betting uh, platform. Then it was Edison AI that we waited. It was it was non-material to the business, so we didn't have to announce it in a press release, uh, which was 25. And then it was Molotov, which is 100. So we have been very um, careful on how we go about doing these things. And again, there's nothing here that should give anybody any whiplash.
0: Um, okay, so practically, um, the Edison AI platform sounds like it's really geared to the sports content you have on the platform. Just curious... Is it mainly going to be for the Fubo sports channel that you have, or will it be also something you can overlay on uh, your, some of your partner's content?
2: Yeah, well it's both, um, you know, uh, we have the Conmo ball rights we bought that again, not that expensive at the time to really test out some of our theories, those theories are coming, uh, looking to be relatively, uh, accurate and correct. Um, but yeah, we are having discussions with, you know, with leagues and other partners to see how we can improve engagement. I think at the end of the day, this actually helps the leagues, right? I mean, there are some leagues that have some serious engagement issues. Uh, some of them have just too much content out there that is taking away from the main event, which is the actual game itself, where you have sponsorships, you've got IP rights, you've got media rights. I mean, there's a lot of money that goes that, 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 you know, team owners and the leagues make from the actual event itself. So it's very important that there are companies like Fubo that continue to market these products, create more engagement, and develop a fan base, a, a new fan base, right, one that's growing, uh, and looking for ways in which to um, enjoy their free time. And so, to me, this is an integral part of the future of sports.
0: Um, okay, so let's keep the conversation moving you also launched the free-to-play uh free-to-play games um i'm curious on you know are you expecting uh, any so what is that just very quickly what is that and what are you expecting you know objective wise is it to increase engagement is there a specific um, is there a specific objective you're trying to achieve by creating this free to game offering
2: yeah so i think that at a very high level the main objective is to create a flywheel Right. And, um, so what I like to say is, and this is from all of my years of experience at different media companies is it's very important to recirculate traffic. Just like you recirculate air, you want to recirculate traffic. So if once I've, you know, think of Amazon, right? They, you buy something online, you go to your Kindle app and you bought a book, uh, you have a prime membership, you know, you have their video product, you know, you bought, um, in Eero, one of their, you know, device uh, platforms, a Ring, uh, which is the doorbell. So they have you in this. They try. They're trying to keep you within their ecosystem. Apple does it with all of its hardware, the watch, you know, the phone, the iPad, the Mac. Everybody's kind of playing this game. And what's interesting is that that is a game that we think we're going to be really good at. Why? Because we have something that these guys all have scale, but what we have is we have actually have time spent engagement. The engagement levels on our platform, I believe are second to none. I don't think there's anyone out there. And by the way, if someone's listening or watching, please tell me who has more engagement because I would like to learn more about that company or that space. But with 120 plus hours a month, I feel like if I can get you to come in to watch a video and I can get you to watch more videos because the discovery platform and the machine learning algorithms are working, that's going to drive engagement which drives retention which drives advertising sales which then allows me to upsell you on a red zone or some international sports package or even a showtime or a stars right and then while i'm learning about what are your you know if you like to watch penalty shots can i send you a bet slip which we're the first to have actually combined the back end data for the for the two and that has been approved by regulators at least in Iowa um you know, allow us to send you bets right to your phone, right? Notifications, and uh, with Edison AI, just going back to that again, they can actually tell where the ball is on the screen. So if there's no ball at the top of the right corner of your TV, because you know there's a they're they're playing at the bottom left corner because they're about to cross the ball into the box, you might be able to put up a quick notification that says, "Hey, buy Messi's jersey now." 30 seconds, you know, a clock ticking and you get a 10% discount. So there's so many things that we can do on our platform that I think is really exciting. We haven't even scratched the surface of what can be done. Unfortunately, I only have 400 people today that are building this out. So we just don't are not building as quickly as we'd like. Again, hence the reason why Molotov makes a lot of sense for us.
0: We're hearing a lot across the industry about the importance of of driving engagement, and <clears throat> rather than having a lean back experience, um, you are needing to create a an interactive and immersive one. Um, um, and, and the, obviously leading into the betting side of things, now I'm really curious to how that will play out because, um, you know, you, as a broadcaster, as a as a platform, um, to bring in the betting side of it is is uh, obviously is an exciting one for those interested in betting but also adds some complexities no doubt on how you get that up and running. I thought if I remember correctly they are separate platforms if I'm correct. Is that right or they are are they integrated? Right
2: now they're separate. However, the most important integration that we have today and one that will be the foundation of the business when we do integrate them is the back-end technology and the ability for the TV to speak to the betting app and vice versa. Because a lot of the thing, you know, it's like your Tesla, you get in, you don't know what it's doing, but it's doing something, right? It's the same thing between our TV and our betting app. We want things to happen in the background that allow you to have a frictionless experience. And then with time, as we continue to embrace our relationship with regulators and demonstrate that this is a safe environment, that we are creating a safe environment, uh, and we can demonstrate that a safe environment and we are being good corporate citizens, which is very important to me, uh, not only from an ESG perspective, but just generally speaking, uh, because I have kids, I have friends, have kids. And, you know, we know what happens when betting gets out of control. Uh, it ruins lives. But I think that the key difference between what we're doing and what everyone else wants to do is we believe in watch and bet. Betting companies believe in bet and watch. That's a very different perspective uh, to come from. And watch and bet really is about opening up the funnel and getting mass markets to participate, right? Which is like, I love my favorite player, LeBron James. And even if LeBron James broke his hand and he's taking a foul shot, I don't care what the odds are. He's my favorite player. I want to support him. I'm going to put $5 down for him to score. Right. That's a different type of experience. That to me is more Fortnite ish where you're buying digital goods and having fun versus someone looking for the most efficient line and betting the house, uh, on their next win. That is not a business I, I, uh, can personally be uh, a part of, but I do believe that, you know, again, I, I don't play in casinos. I've been going to CES for, I don't know, 10 years. I have no interest in it. I, I don't care. However, if I'm watching my favorite player, Play uh, in a game. If I'm watching Wayne Rooney, a uh, name that might be familiar to you, uh, play, and I want him to score, I will place a bet on Wayne Rooney, and I'm going to sit there, watch Manchester United, um, with a passion uh, and desire that you know just really elevates my experience, and I'll be happy with that, and I can go home knowing I lost my five dollars or ten dollars, um, and that's that. That is the goal. That we are working on today, I think that is that is where the business uh, will go.
0: So on the sportsbook side, okay, you, you've got the you've got the first iteration of up and running. It's running in Iowa. I mean, Iowa is not a major market, but it's a, it, you're up and running, so you're live. Um, what do you have? What's next on the sportsbook side? How quickly can you scale that proposition up to? And are you giving any guidance uh, on what revenues will look like coming from the sports book moving forward?
2: Yeah. So I think, again, another lesson, and I'm going to start highlighting these things because I don't want people who you know uh, don't have time to kind of follow the story day in, day out. But again, with betting, crawl, walk, run. We wanted to get it live, right? We wanted to get all the approvals. It's live in a very small state, as you uh, just said. Um So we have to figure out what is the right marketing strategy? How much is all this going to cost? And think about video. I mean, the same way, you know, three years ago, we had 50 or 60,000 paying subscribers and DirecTV Now had a million five. And uh, I believe three years ago, Sling had two million, you know, and here you are fast forward and we're taking market share and we're at a million and some of these are still at two five. Some of them are below a million. and so. I think that the first five years of betting will be what you're seeing today, which is, you know, betting companies taking over. But I think over time it's going to be about building great products, great experiences, which is where I think we have the edge. And by the way, we also have the video, which helps that, right? Because again, if you think about how we market, why why we say sports come for the sports, stay for the entertainment, because it's event driven. But when you're watching a game, there's no better moment to say. Put five dollars on, you know, LeBron James or or whoever you're, you know, or Tom Brady, or so. So I think that is a very powerful tool. So for us, Iowa is the start. Correct. We are fixing some of the, you know, little bugs that we're finding, uh, and also putting together a data pipeline that will allow us to sort of uh, manage and track our different campaigns. Uh, but you should anticipate in the first quarter several more states coming online: Arizona and one of the larger states. Uh, New Jersey. Um, And, you know, throughout the year, we'll probably launch another two states, uh, Indiana uh, and Pennsylvania before, hopefully before the football season starts or next fall. So, um, you know, that's the game plan. The game plan is to uh, spend less in marketing and spend more on uh, gaming licenses to unlock a greater portion of our subscriber base, because I think there is a real arbitrage uh, between the cost of acquiring players, which as you know, if you're following the betting space could be between 500 and and $1,000. I think there was a state very recently, the state of Michigan, where the revenue had negative revenue in the state because of the amount of promotions that were running in that. state. Can you imagine negative revenue? So I thought like negative margin, I can tell you a little bit about that. Uh, but negative revenue is at a whole new level that I, I just am not familiar with and I don't want to be familiar with. So um but that's sort of the game plan um and i think that's kind of where everyone right now is focused on
0: yeah yeah i can i can, I can resonate with that you're coming from there now, let's talk <laughs> a little bit more about the monetization side uh then because um obviously that always comes up when we're talking numbers um now we talked about the arpu numbers being just un, just under $75 $8.23 uh from my numbers here were advertising uh based the rest is through subscription if i'm if i'm correct
2: yes that is correct
0: so looking at the the numbers further so and the arpu jumped about 10% i think from either the previous quarter uh if i remember correctly um i'm testing uh, now year over year year over year, year. Over okay year. year over year so um now looking but looking at the numbers a bit deeper you have your subscription costs which are which actually sort of supersede the subscription revenue, I think you had about a 140, 138 million revenue on subscription, 143 on costs on subscription. So the margins are obviously the bit you, you just touched upon a, a little bit earlier about margins. How are you going to get yourself in a position where that is going to be turned around? Because obviously, that is a an area you're obviously fully aware of, um, I'm guessing it's a bit of everything, but can you give us a bit of an insight into how you're either a going to drive up revenue revenues per user or b) drop down, bring those margins down?
2: Yeah. So, uh, that's a very good point. And, um, you know, I think it's very important to note that if you look further in the shareholder letter, you'll see that our contribution margin continues to expand. um, And, um, you know, that expansion is, if I'm not mistaken, was almost 12 and a half uh, 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 points versus last year's, on a normalized basis, 10 and a half. So uh, because there was a month where we didn't have Turner and didn't have uh, Disney. So obviously that, that takes down your cost. I think on the you know, I think on the P L is actually 16%. But again, if you normalize it out, it's about 10. So you're con- continuing to see, and we were at negative contribution margin when we went public. So you are seeing margin expansion. Um, but one of the reasons why you have to scale your business, and this is why spending more in the, uh, in the earlier years makes sense because to think about an annuity, you know, you bought an annuity and it, it pays out over a period of time. So the sooner you invest in your subscriber base, which is what Netflix did, It invested heavily in building its subscriber base. And now it tells everyone, well, guys, guess what? I don't need any more money because these subscribers are now paying me that annuity that allows me to, to run my business. So um, we have to scale our business, both domestically and at some point internationally. So again, you, like it or not, you got to do this thing globally. It's an internet company, so it makes no sense. So scale, obviously very important here. The other thing is the ad revenue which is interesting is net, so we're capturing it on a net basis, and it's reflected on a net basis. so if you think about getting to let's just say a million subscribers uh and we we believe the long term uh uh ad per customer customers fifteen to twenty dollars, you know if you're flat, break even on the subscription side because sports is expensive um Then your advertising revenue makes up more than enough for it. So even at a million subscribers, at ten dollars, you think about that, right? You know, you're on a net basis. You're looking at, you know, ten million a month, 120 million. We're going to do about, you know, call it 75 plus million this year. uh, You know, up from, I believe, about 40 million last year. Um, And so that number continues to grow, and uh, that's you're you're seeing operating leverage today already in the model. So I am very confident that those will turn profitable uh, over time uh, as we get to fifteen to twenty dollars of ad revenue. Uh, I also think you will see uh, some uh, leverage in our content relationships, um, and we do have some pricing power uh, today uh, in terms of you know being able to to do deals that we think are going to be very um, accessible to our customer base. So. You know, all in. I think that the idea is, as we continue to monetize our customer, you know, it's going to be profitable. And our goal uh, is to achieve about a 30% gross margin overall. That's advertising and subscription. That does not include betting, which I think is probably also worth about 10 to 20 dollars, or five to 10 dollars if you want to give me a haircut uh, at 50% margin. So you've got a long way to go with a growing sub base with strong retention. Um, I think this is going to be a pretty powerful mousetrap, if you will, uh, that consumers are really going to
0: enjoy. So, so we've talked about the revenue side there a little bit, but one of the things that we've spent a couple of days at uh, the OTT summer conference over here in London that we've just run, and there's a lot of lot of conversation around diversification of, of, of revenue streams and, and the business model, uh, and a big focus on new and exciting topics like blockchain and NFTs and cryptocurrency and all those wonderful words we're hearing uh, right across the industry. Are you looking to have any sort of integration with any of those offerings in the near future?
2: Look, it's our job to keep a very close eye on how things uh, evolve, but you know, free to play is another, again, I'm just giving you little breadcrumbs, but free to play to me, when i close my eyes it sounds like play to earn so there's opportunities for us again we're building the foundation so there's opportunities here to uh to very quickly flip uh to a very different model uh and to create ecosystems so again we are setting the groundwork for something spectacular over the next 5 to 7 years but yes i think it's fair to say like everyone else we're looking at this um, and trying to figure out um The right entry point one that is going to play into our overall video strategy and our advertising business and if we we can tie that in i think that that could be an an opportunity that's not to say we're focused on it today that's not to say but our job is to think about it right you know that's what we do and we want to be one step ahead um but also be mindful of the cash burn as you stated in our path to profitability but customers if you can keep customers engaged you w- they will become profitable, I mean that has been proven historically when Amazon was a bookstore and they wanted to do music. Everyone said, "But wait a minute, you don't know anything about music, right? You only know books when Spotify was a music service, now it's an audio company and growing its margins through podcasting, et cetera Roku, a hardware business that has now become you know an advertising company so and now getting into original so again, the key is owning that relationship, and I think we're one of the companies that are, I don't want to say best position, but I, you know, I'm very happy with our current position in the market and the opportunity that lies ahead.
0: So two quick questions to wrap up, if that's okay, David. Um, the one is, uh, I guess on more on the wider trend we're seeing in the direct to consumer space for sports where we've seen, uh, well, sports and entertainment, I suppose, where WWE was, uh, its, its OTT platform was basically acquired or the rights to the content were uh, ingested into Peacock in a five-year, $1 billion deal. Um, they're shutting down their OTT platform in the US. Uh, we've seen similar with PGA Tour, with PGA Tour Live and the ESPN Plus product. I just wondered if you had, based on your background and your interest in the sports space and what you have been doing, do you have any particular thoughts on this, I guess, this move by direct-to-consumer of sports properties to... To move back to broadcasters in these types of deals,
2: well, I, I've said this before. Everything will come full circle. Uh, you know we went from bundling to unbundling, everyone's saying sports is leaving the bundle, and everyone's going to launch their own. It will all be rebundled, and I think what w what I was what you mentioned about WWE was crystal clear to me many, many years ago. There are the best businesses in the world are aggregators. Um that's the only way to win. Even Netflix, if you look at its uh if you look at its um portfolio, about forty percent of its portfolio is originals. It's not a hundred percent originals. They still carry the Walking Dead and Mad Men and you know uh all these different uh shows from different networks and different studios because that's what they are. They're an aggregator. And so the WWE situation, what that highlights to to me, or it did before, and hopefully it highlights to your listeners, is that Direct to consumer is extremely hard. It's a grueling business. And the fact that all streaming companies talk about global subscribers tells you that it's very difficult to launch and develop in the US. And it's highly unlikely that these businesses will be successful. There'll be a point in time when analysts and investors and, you know, public investors say enough is enough. Show me the profits. And I do believe that the fact that big, Unique platforms like PGA, phenomenal content. I think we can all agree. WWE, an amazing customer base, right? A very loyal fans. Uh, It just, there's a ceiling at which you can just not exceed no matter what you do because the churn eventually catches up. And um, I think you're going to see that over the next 24 months. And you're going to see a lot of people raising a lot of white flags saying, you know what? Let me do the business that I know. I'm good at licensing, I'm good at producing develop your products, and you will win. And you can see that in two other examples, and I'll leave you with one example is the AOL, if you recall, Time Warner deal, which thought that they can marry content and distribution. That didn't work. And then a decade later, let's try it again. The sequel, uh, which was Time Warner AT&T, that obviously didn't work. I think eventually people will realize that to maximize the value of content, it has to be fully distributed. To maximize a distribution's platform ability to grow, it has to have the best array of content available to it. And um, those two, when you put them together, they limit the growth of each one of those. And because you don't have a uh, a steady pipeline of Game of Thrones coming out every week, you just don't. And so again, very difficult business. Um, I think we're doing it correctly, taking our time, being smart, and I think you know, over the next five or seven years, um, you know, this is going to be a pretty large business.
0: I think that's probably a good spot to wrap up. David Gandler, thank you so much for joining us. Great to talk to you as always. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you. See you soon, Nick, in person. Sounds good.